Hey listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Criminal Beauty. I'm Shayna, your host. Today we are going to be talking about the murder of Roy Joe McCaleb, a man who died in his home after being shot in 1985, a case that took nearly three decades to solve. I actually hadn't heard of this case until I was just browsing the internet for another case and happened upon it, and it piqued my interest, so I saved it. This case was not easy to find detailed information on, so I apologize to those that may have been involved or those that followed the case closely as it progressed for any gaps that I may have. This is the case of Roy Joe McCaleb. So, a little about Roy. He was born on September 3rd of 1934 in Houston, Texas. He was a loving father, grandfather, and brother. He graduated from Robert Lee High School in Baytown. He was a veteran of the Korean War, served also as a Master Mason of Goose Creek Masonic Lodge. He had three children, his daughters Pam and Bridget and his son Alton. Bridget and Alton suffered from a rare genetic disorder that impacted their nervous system, and by the time they were in their early 20s, they were confined to wheelchairs, unable to be mobile on their own. There was no treatment for the disorder, so they had to make the best of a horrible situation. Over time, the stress at work and the demands of home took a toll on Roy's marriage. In 1978, after 22 years of marriage, Roy and his wife would divorce. Linda Petty said on an episode of Evil Stepmothers that if Bridget and Alton had been healthy, that Roy and his wife would have been together till the day they died. At the time of the divorce, Pam, the couple's youngest, was already married and living on her own. Bridget moved in with her grandmother and Alton went and lived with Roy. Sadly, not long after the divorce, the family would face tragedy. In January of 1981, Bridget would suffer from complications of her genetic disorder and pass away. Pam is the one that told Roy of Bridget's passing. She stated that her dad was one to hold everything inside and that he had told her that everything was going to be all right. In 1983, James, Roy's brother, decided it was time for Roy to start anew. So James introduced Roy to Carol. Right away, the two hit it off. Both had been through divorces and both had children and just needed someone. A few weeks later, Carol and her son John moved in with Roy, and Carol and Roy agreed to get married. Roy worked as a construction foreman with a company named Brown and Root at the time down in Houston, Texas, where he, Alton, Carol, and Carol's youngest son were living in a North Shore home. According to sources, Carol wasn't fond of Alton. Apparently, Carol complained about Alton and made him uncomfortable living there. Alton eventually started confiding in his little sister, Pam, telling her how Carol made him feel. So the two came together to send a message. Both of them told Roy that they wouldn't be attending their wedding in hopes that he would realize that they didn't approve of it. But Roy never asked questions or said anything about it for that matter. Everyone assumed that he just didn't know how to approach the situation. 
Less than a month after the wedding, the family started noticing a change in Roy's behavior. The honeymoon phase was over, and he started to realize that it wasn't right. In an effort to improve his relationship, he promised Carol security for the future, signing his will, leaving Carol everything. While Roy buried himself deeper into his marriage, the torment that Alton was dealing with would only get worse. According to a source, Carol would sometimes go into Alton's room after Roy had gone to bed and read to him, which honestly is weird anyway, because Roy's son, Alton, was an adult. He was just disabled. But what makes it more weird is that she was reading erotic magazines to him. Alton didn't like this, but due to his genetic disorder, he couldn't just get up and walk away. So he had to sit there and listen to his own stepmother sit there and talk sexually to him. Alton would eventually start locking himself in the bathroom at night, and he would even sleep in there to protect himself from Carol. Alton never takes this to his dad, though. He wouldn't because he was hoping that his dad would remain happy, and as a result, no one else would have any idea about what was really going on, and the torment would continue. Eventually, though, Alton goes to his mother to ask for help. After nine months of dealing with Carol, Alton couldn't do it anymore, so he leaves and moves in with his mother. Roy and Carol had been married for two years when Roy had a terrible accident at work and would need back surgery. While working, a crane went amiss and knocked Roy into the bayou, injuring him pretty badly. His hospital stay wasn't long, but Roy would have a lengthy recovery time at home and pretty much stayed heavily medicated. Concerned for her father's well-being, Pam visits her father almost daily to help support him. Roy opens up to his daughter on one of her visits. She said that her father had told her that her mother was the only woman he had ever loved, but that Carol was a good woman, and if anything were ever to happen to him, that Carol knew his wishes but doesn't go into any further detail. Pam doesn't push, but she is rattled by the fact that something seems to be wrong. After two months of being home on disability, Roy was ready to go back to work. It was September 22, 1985, that a friend came over to visit. They were sitting outside having a conversation, drinking a few beers, and Carol comes out to join them, and the conversation turns to guns. She wanted to have a target practice in the backyard, so they went out there and fired off a few rounds. Roy wasn't supposed to be drinking due to the medication he was on, but they were having a few beers, and by the end of the visit, he was pretty tired due to the combination and was pretty out of it. It was that night that Roy, while sleeping in his bed, that he would be fatally shot. Pam received a call around midnight from her aunt stating that someone had broken into the house, raped Carol, and shot Roy. According to Carol, the murder was committed by a man who was barefoot and wielding a knife. Apparently, this man had attacked her 10 days prior. She said she was headed to work one day, and as she stopped at a stop sign, a man jumped in her car. According to her, the man made her drive down to a park somewhere near their house, and he raped her. She didn't report it because she thought that it may hinder her husband's recovery and make it harder for him, causing more issues. According to Carol, the man had found out where she lived and had entered through the unlocked back door. He found her in her bedroom and raped her. She had kept a gun under her pillow, 
the same gun she and Roy were using that day for target practice in the backyard. She said that the man took the gun from her and held a knife to her throat while he sexually assaulted her, then took the gun. Carol said that the man told her that if she didn't stay in her room, that he would kill everyone in the house. Took the gun, and instead of going left down the hallway to exit the home, he went right, headed toward where Roy was sleeping. Carol said that she heard a gunshot, and that's when she jumped up and ran towards Roy's room. She also stated that while she was going toward where this assailant was, that she bumped into him, causing him to drop the gun. Then she picked up the gun and fired three shots at the man leaving their home. Carol then called an ambulance, even though she says she thought it was too late to save Roy. When Carol came out of the house as paramedics arrived, her friends and family said she spoke about it calmly to them, explaining what happened. Now, I know you never know how someone is going to act in a situation like that, but I don't know if calmly would be one of those reactions. Margaret McCaleb, a family member of Roy, said, quote, She just sat in a chair and just started talking about it as calmly as I am to you, end quote. She also said that Carol went home after and took a shower, which had set off some alarms for her. Later that night, investigators asked Carol to do a rape kit to gather any evidence they may need. Of course, she tells them that she had already showered. Even more suspicious, Carol's son John, who is a police cadet, was apparently home during the attack, and he tells his side of the story. He states that he heard the first gunshot, but he blew it off as if it was the air conditioning vent falling and hitting the wooden floor. Keep in mind that John's room was directly across from Roy's, and a gunshot is pretty distinguishable when you are that close. It's not like it would have been an echo of the gunshot that he had heard. He heard the actual gun go off. He said that he heard the three shots that followed, and he couldn't ignore that. He said that when he heard those, he got up and ran out of his room. This all leaves the McCaleb family confused and gives them trouble piecing together the entire scenario. So they all talked about it, racked their brains on trying to put it all together and make it make sense. But as they talked, they started realizing that, of course, none of it made sense. At that moment is when they all started getting suspicious. The McCaleb family then broke the news to Roy's son, Alton. His response was, she killed my dad. Alton believes that Carol had some sort of involvement in his dad's death. So investigators ask Carol to submit a polygraph test, and she refuses. Additionally, investigators can't locate any evidence of an unknown subject in the house, and when they question the neighbors, they also come up empty-handed. Even though the family thinks all of this is suspicious, they can't bring themselves to think Carol could kill Roy especially Roy's brother James, but the day of the funeral would change his mind. According to Roy's daughter Pam, Roy was dressed in a pantsuit, and the cell and the jacket was stained, and she said her dad was very prideful in the way he dressed. The family spoke to the man at the funeral home about the stain, and the man said that Carol had been notified of the stain, and she had said it didn't matter. The attitude Carol had with Roy's family told them that she was done with them, that's when James changed his mind and thought that Carol had murdered or had some involvement in his murder. Come October of 1985, detectives were no closer to finding the man Carol claimed raped her and murdered Roy. They dug into it 
looking at recent sexual assaults in their database to try and make a connection, but none of them were even close. As the investigation kept rolling, they kept looking at the evidence over and over. They turned their attention to a clothes hanger, one that Carol claimed was used on her during her sexual assault. So they put the hanger under a microscope to examine and look for evidence, but there was nothing, no blood, no skin, or anything. They also looked at the nightgown that Carol was wearing that night. There was blood on it, but it wasn't her blood or an assailant's blood. They described it as blood spatter, and the blood belonged to Roy McCaleb. Furthermore, detectives find that Carol had secretly taken out a life insurance policy on Roy's life, and police believe that the policy could potentially be a motive, but all of this was circumstantial. As they dig further into Carol's past, they uncover some startling information. Roy believed that Carol had been married once prior to marrying him, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Roy was, in fact, Carol's sixth husband, and Carol was still married when she married Roy. So in February of 1986, Carol was charged with felony bigamy, but as with most bigamy cases, it was dismissed. Months turned into years, and the family fears justice will not be served with every minute that passes. Three years pass, and still no answers. Then, in 1988, Tragedy strikes again when Alton, Roy's son, passes away from complications related to his genetic disorder. Meanwhile, Carol is still living in Roy's house and marries her seventh husband. And not only are her son's police officers, Carol is now working at the Houston Police Department, a civilian job at the front desk. Detectives are gobstopped because they know Carol had murdered Roy, but... They just didn't have the evidence to prove it. Like clockwork, every year Pam checks in with the police station to advocate for her father's murder. Her efforts start making their presence known as they catch the ear of a Texas ranger by the name of David Maxwell. He knows what needs to be done to try and help the McCaleb family. So he goes to the Houston Police Department and they agree to let a fresh pair of eyes on the case. In the spring of 2008, Officer Mike Peters took over the case. He gets evidence tested and searches for witnesses from back in 1985 that may be able to help with the prosecution. His work goes straight to the district attorney's office, and when they finish their review, they decide to move forward and prosecute Carol. On July 8, 2008, Mike Peters was sent to arrest Carol. They went and found her. When they got her... Carol went into the fetal position and cried for an hour. Carol refused to talk to them. They held Carol in the Harris County Jail on a $50,000 bond. In the fall of 2013, at the age of 75 and 28 years after the murder of Roy McCaleb, Carol faces a judge. She has no violent crimes on her record, and on the surface, she does not fit the profile of a cold-blooded murderer. Her attorneys paint a picture of the McCaleb's family kicking up dust on Carol. Carol at this time had dementia, and her attorney made that clear, and the prosecution thinks that they think that it would get Carol out of it. The prosecution says that on the night of September 22nd of 1985, Carol put a well-executed plan into place. 
and murdered her husband in cold blood. The reason she wanted target practice that day was because when you use a firearm, gunpowder residue is left on your hands. And if she did target practice, that would give her an excuse as to why that would be found on her hands. Oh, and why would he, the attacker, kill Roy? Carol would be the only one that would be able to identify him. So why didn't he kill her? Detectives told her after she had informed them that she was raped not to shower, and she did anyway. Before her case gets to the jury, Carol is offered a plea deal, and then when the judge asked her what she pled and if she was guilty of murdering Roy Joe McCaleb, she said, quote, I am, end quote. Justice was going to be served, or was it? Carol was sentenced to six months in jail. Yes, six months. That's horrible. But at that time, it was the only thing that the prosecution thought that they could get the defense to agree to. The family was shocked, disappointed, and felt like it wasn't enough. After all, she just admitted to killing her husband. Pam, Roy's daughter, had something to say to anyone who was experiencing what she went through. Quote, call, bug them. Somebody will listen to you and you have to follow through or it just becomes a file with dust on it, end quote. Carol was released from prison in 2014 and she lives in Texas. And if she successfully completes probation, she will no longer have a conviction on her record. Until next time, stay safe, friends. Hey everyone, this isn't my usual ending to an episode, but I wanted to hop on here and tell y'all some pretty exciting news. I know all of you love listening to the podcast and you look forward to the episodes every Monday, but I wanted to tell y'all that I officially have a blog for the podcast. Um, If you would like to go over there and read on every episode that I have published, I am working on getting all of those up. I would really enjoy seeing y'all enjoy that. So if you want that link, I will have it up on um, Instagram, which is Criminal Beauty Pod. Um, I'll have the link in the bio for a little bit. And I really hope y'all enjoy it. Um, If you're listening and you just want to type it into your browser really quick, it is criminalbeautypod.blogspot.com. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit that subscribe or follow button and tune in every Monday for a new episode. Episode suggestions can be sent to criminalbeautypod at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at criminalbeauty20 and on Instagram at criminalbeautypod.